Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world who believes that they should call the NLCS and the ALCS the semifinals. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. And we're ready to talk about the semifinals. The Astros have been in the semifinals seven straight years, but you wouldn't know it if you watched game one because they looked like the noobs. The Rangers take game one of the ALCS two to nothing. We're going to recap that one and preview the National League Championship Series, which begins tonight deep in the heart of Pennsylvania, where Jake is. Uh, once again, of course, Jake never is born and raised in Philly, of course, as we all know. Just kidding. Uh, he's back in Philly covering D-backs Philly. So we're going to preview that in the second half. But we must begin in Texas, in Houston, to be specific, for game one, Jake. And before we get into this game, I know people are listening. Oh, you want to say something first. Go ahead. Yeah, before we get into this game, mm-hmm. hi, everyone. You hi. can uh, you can email us at baseballbarbacast, B-A-R-B-Cast at gmail.com. Please rate and review the show. Please subscribe on various platforms. We This is a programming note. We will be going every day for the remainder of October. That means no sleep for us, and that means good things in your ears for you. So if you wouldn't mind, please toss us a subscribe or a review. It would mean yes. a lot. Yes, it would mean a lot. And again, as you mentioned, the email baseballbarbacast.gmail.com. Uh, so many incredibly, incredibly kind and supportive emails after all the mess last week. Um, so we really appreciate those. We're working on getting back to those uh, in this this week, but we really do appreciate it. We did read them. So thank you for those and keep those coming, especially they don't all have to be just nice words. They can be silly questions as well. Also, one more quick thing. I believe that semifinal take, that's mm-hmm. real. That's a real thing, I think. I think mm-hmm. I, I saw someone text somebody else, what the hell is an ALCS? And I think that's very valid. If you yeah. are not a ball fan and you see... ALCS or NLCS and someone else is like, it's the NLCS. It's like, what the, like, it's the World Series semifinals. Like, that has heft. Yeah, it's true. Although, you know, I feel like semifinal the the implies one game. I think that's our biggest challenge. Other sports too, right? In in NFL and NBA, it's, it's the conference championship. So, which is the same thing. So we do have multiple championships. We just like saying that, that people just want to give reasons to, you know, put more banners up. You want to have another another round to be proud of. And I understand that. But if you want to get start pushing the semifinal take, that's fine. I I, I support you. Uh, Thank Jake, you. Before, we, before we get in here, as you know, as everyone who's watched any of the clips on the show know, I wear a different hat. 
as much as I can uh, when I wear uh, when I when I wear this podcast when I record this podcast. And Jake, today, as we record this right now, I am not wearing a hat, which is weird. If you, I don't know if you remember what my forehead looked like, but now you can see it. <laughs> but I do have a hat for the occasion. It is a hat that you know that I own, but a hat that I have not worn on this show. In fact, a hat I don't think I have ever really worn for more than three seconds, but it is one of my favorite hats that we have ever acquired. I know exactly what it is. I know exactly what it is. It is a very simple hat, but it is a hat that makes me laugh. It is a Texas Rangers hat with the name of a Brazilian soccer player on the side. What am I talking about? Well, when we worked at MLB.com, Jake, we had access to a lot of hats. That is our first thing. That is because we recorded uh, many videos and, and we had a lot of hats and there were all kinds of hats around the MLB office. And the hat that continues to make me laugh the most to this day was a combination of two hats. One was a New York Yankees hat with the name Neymar Jr. on the side. I still have that uh, here somewhere too, although it doesn't fit me. But there was also this one, this Rangers hat, this Texas tee with the name Tiago Silva on the side, which I am showing. <laughs> if you do not know who Tiago Silva is, he is also a one of the more successful Brazilian soccer players of the last 30 years and a teammate, longtime teammate of Neymar Jr. If you don't know anything about soccer, that's fine. Neymar, really good Brazilian soccer player. And this hat is just one of the strangest pieces of memorabilia I do believe exists on earth. And I've never had a reason to wear it because, you know, in the regular season, all due respect to the Rangers, as, as a Mariners fan, I, I'm not just going to walk around with the Rangers hat. But the Rangers defeating the Astros in game one of the ALCS on the only game of the night is as good a reason as any to break this hat out. My Tiago Silva Rangers hat. And Tiago Silva still going strong at age 39 for Chelsea. So shouts out to him. And if you're sitting there, why does this hat exist? Our understanding is that Tiago Silva was maybe going to go to like the MLB.com office for something. Yes. And they wanted to give him a hat and they were like, oh, that's a big T and your name is Tiago. <laughs> yes, that's our best guess. And we assume he was like with Neymar, who was maybe visiting Yankee Stadium and they gave him a Yankees hat. I don't know. It's so weird. I'm glad I have it. It fits me great and I will wear it because the Rangers are up 1-0 in the ALCS. All right, let's get into the baseball, Jake. This Woo. was a showdown, a Texas showdown, as we have mentioned a million times, uh, between the Rangers and the Astros. And the Fox broadcast decided to intro this in quite an interesting way. They, uh, they picked up the phone and they called Post Malone. They said, Post Malone, you are Texas. You will speak for mm. your state, the state of <laughs> Texas. And he did the introduction... And it was very generic, like what he said. He used it's not their first rodeo, Lone Star Showdown, everything is bigger in Texas. Like the script itself was whatever. What made me really laugh about it was the idea of him, if he had done the nitty gritty mm -hmm. in Post Malone with all his Post Maloneness, had been like, Will, you know, will Cody Bradford give right. the Rangers length out of the pen in game three? Yeah. Can Josh Spores, you know, avoid the free pass in high high leverage situation? Will Dusty Baker play Yiner Diaz? <laughs> right. Like, this is a, a real, like, will Greg Kessinger see the field for one second at any point? That would have Rangers, been a good, a, Astros a good reason. starts now. <laughs> I don't think that's what Fox asked uh, script-wise. Now, you know, credit to, to Mr. Post. Um... My understanding is that he he did grow up in Texas uh, to some degree, 
Uh, and that was clearly some level of his connection here. But again, it was it was really just the juxtaposition of opening shot, cattle, ranch, farm, boom, Post Malone with the face tats telling you that everything is bigger in Texas. I loved it. It was great. Jordan Alvarez hitting one deep, right? It's like a lot of different things hitting you at the same time. Yep. Let's get into the game itself. Rangers win two to zero. That is the TLDR, too long dinner read. Yes. And the game itself was pretty simple. Jordan Montgomery, who the Rangers traded for at the deadline and was spectacular for them down the stretch. Remember, he had a great start against Tampa, was bad against the Orioles in game two, but was bailed out because the Orioles peed the bed and then showed up game one against Justin Verlander and absolutely dealt. Oh, my gosh. I mean... Again, it wasn't stunning because we've seen him pitch so well even after that that bad Baltimore start. But this was a a masterful clinic, particularly with his curveball, which I believe he threw for a higher percentage than he had um, in almost any other start this season. Obviously, Jordan Montgomery is not you know going to go up there necessarily blowing you away. But when you're left-handed, you know, 93-94 is still a lot harder than when we talk about like a Bryce Elder, right? Like this is this is still good stuff. And the, I mean, it was essentially as good a command as you could possibly hope for, particularly, you know, the way that he attacked Jordan Alvarez, uh, which was, an inc- we, we can hit on that here quickly. The way that they pitched Jordan uh, last night was so, so specific and all the, the, you know, pitch charts of how much they were just going inside. He never saw anything in the middle of the plate. It was a good reminder that even hitters as good as Jordan, you can game plan, but we always go back to, okay, you have the plan, you have the plan. We talked about this with Acuna. You still have to execute. And the difference between executing versus not executing with Jordan is the ball going 440 feet, right? But he was able to throw like all of his pitches to that same spot inside in that first at bat. It was so, so, so impressive. And then the curveball just had Jordan totally, you know, completely confused. And Jordan goes 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. So it was uh, it was a really impressive showing uh, for Montgomery in general, but he was, he was in control. And it was important because Verlander was also, Verlander was not good, but Verlander is a Hall of Famer and always knows what the hell he's doing. And so he also pitches into the seventh didn't even have a swing and miss until like the fourth or fifth inning, and it didn't matter. Like he he was controlling the game in such an impressive way, but uh, because Montgomery was that good, the Astros' offense just wasn't doing anything. It was very bizarre to see whenever the Astros throw up a stinker in the playoffs. It is worth investigation. It rattles us in a way. We're so used to seeing them steamroll people this time of year that when someone like Jordan Montgomery comes into town and blanks him, it's very odd. And yeah. I think that Montgomery is a really, like you said, you can game plan anybody. You really can any hitter. It just takes elite command and you cannot miss. If you look at all those pitches against Jordan, they're all right on the inner half. Like, like, sorry, not Down. the inner half, like the inner black, like basically right on the line. If any of those leak over, I mean, six inches, it's, it's, it's a home it's run. what happened to Robbie right. Ray. Like what, happened, when, to Robbie what Ray. happened to Robbie Ray last year, they basically said after the game, like, this is what we were trying to do. You missed and you got embarrassed, right? Now, right. <laughs> that was also a situation where it's like, why are we asking Robbie Ray to make these pitches? But Montgomery's been making these pitches for two months now, right? And that's the thing. Like, he, he's been able to do that. 
And so to your point, you can game plan anybody. Every hitter has a hole, right? But it is much easier said than done. And you know, you even have moments like in last series where Bailey overthrows a pitch five inches above the zone and Jordan still hits it out. But but th- that was still a spot that he could get to. But this was a spot you could tell he kept fouling it off. He would pull it foul. He would foul it back. He just couldn't quite get to it. Now, are they going to be able to do that all series? We'll see. It's also, as a lefty, it's a little bit different. You know, you have that. It's a little bit of an angle. It's a little bit tougher on him. Not that Jordan has not crushed lefties too, but it was so specific and they nailed it. It's also worth noting that these Astros right now are not firing on all cylinders offensively. Mm-hmm. They were able to outlast the Twins because their pitching was so good and they kept those scores down. Mm-hmm. Jordan Alvarez and Jose Abreu were really the only two guys who yeah, had a we, great We haven't series. seen Tucker. We haven't seen Altuve really look or, or even Bregman. We'll, we'll get to his swing here in a second. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree. We have not totally seen, uh, let alone you know the bottom of the lineup. We haven't really seen it uh, show up yet. So that's worth noting. The Astros this year are a worse version of themselves, and they might still win the World Series. Especially at home, by the way. That was another part right. of the theme of last night. You know, we've seen, I don't know how much we talked about it going into the series, but one of literally one of the weirdest things in baseball this season is that the Astros sucked at home. They weren't a bad team, but their offensive yeah. splits, it was like 100 points of OPS lower at home versus on the road. And I guess this was another uh, example. That, and, and by the way, we just saw it last round too. We just saw last round too in terms of what their offense did at home versus in Minnesota. So it's uh, it's very, very, very strange. Let's talk about how the Rangers scored their two runs, Jordan. Mm-hmm. Off so, of... Go ahead. Yeah. So as I mentioned, like Justin Verlander was both not very good and still in- incredibly impressive. But second inning, Evan Carter... Uh, on base again with the double. We'll talk about him a little bit and a little bit with his catch. Jonah Heim drives him in with a single. That's but one that nothing. Carter play was mm-hmm. crazy because it was like a deflection off of Jose Abreu's glove at first mm-hmm. base. Ball trickles away. A lot of people would not have turned that into a double or even tried to turn that into a double. Mm-hmm. And so it was the aggressive base running, the feel and the youthful idiocy. Yes. The yes. overconfidence of Evan Carter mm-hmm. was very impressive on that play because that is instinct. And yes, there's a little bit of confirmation bias. He was safe. Jeremy Pena doesn't wrangle the ball and get the tag down. And so it's like Evan Carter's a hero. But to have the stones to go for that was very impressive for such a young player. Especially early on in that game. You know, this is before, um, I mean, it's just the second inning. This is before we know that Verlander is maybe a little bit more hittable than we thought. Like, you're assuming every run is going to be extremely valuable. And getting into scoring position there was obviously a huge deal. We fast forward to the fifth inning. When uh, Leody Tavares, just a beautiful swing, taking Verlander a deep to right field. This is Tavares batting ninth. He goes two for two with a walk uh, on the evening. This is a guy who has been, you know, a switch hitter, longtime prospect. Took a few years for him to really get his feet under him at the major league level. Known for his defense. But him being a, essentially an average hitter this year is so valuable for them and so valuable just as, as a player in general, let alone in the context of this amazing Rangers lineup. And a, a great example, you, you got in a, in a game, a low scoring game like this, you got your nine hitter taking Verlander deep like that is uh, remarkably impressive and, and a huge deal. And this shows you how important misses are. One to count Verlander right handed pitcher against Tavares left handed hitter. He's trying to throw a slider kind of down and in under Tavares' hands, get him to swing and miss or maybe jam him a little bit. And Verlander just misses it in the middle of the plate, center cut, BP 
hanging slider, home run. Big league hitters don't miss. And even Justin Verlander, who has a great slider, if you groove one, they're going to take advantage. And even even just even Leody Tavares, like we talk about it with Jordan, but these are the misses that most guys are going to crush, right? It's it's less subtle. Um, it was it was just a bad miss. But you know he goes back to work. He still manages to pitch another one, two, three in the sixth, uh, and then into the seventh he strikes out Low and Josh Young. Uh, the Josh Young at bat in the seventh, where he basically just threw like six straight sliders. All, this is one of the funniest. If you think the Jordan um, uh, game day uh, screenshot is hilarious, I recommend pulling up the Josh Young in the seventh, what Verlander did to him there. But then Tavares singles, knocks him out. Neris comes in, gets out of the inning. But then at that point, uh, we just, you know, the, the Rangers offense didn't have anything or, or sorry, the Astros offense didn't have anything going until the eighth inning. Jake, let's get to the moment of the game. The eighth can we, inning. Can we get like a Chapman alarm? Like <laughs> we're gonna need is, it. We. Oh my god! This so was roll this, this was First of all, uh, by the way, I, 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 you know, I skipped a little bit past the uh, earlier in the game. You know, they, they, the Astros did have a opportunity with uh, bases loaded, and Martin Maldonado strikes out. The Maldonado versus Diaz discourse will continue that as the series goes on. But let's go to the eighth inning. It is 2-0 still. Jose Altuve is leading off this inning. And so at this point, it's like they're not going to bring in Chapman for Altuve. Like this is the most – I mean how – how like I know Bochy's clearly committed to Chapman in the eighth and he's, I guess, earned it in some respects sort of. Uh, But like they're not going to do that. And they don't. They leave Josh Spores in. But Josh Spores – walks Jose Altuve. And now we have Alex Bregman coming up, which is interesting because even after the walk, you would still think that the matchup would still maybe favor Josh Spores, who honestly has proven more recently than Araldis Chapman. But no, out comes Bochi to take his slow walk out to get the ball and bring in Araldis, bringing the Minute Maid Park crown to its feet. To understand, oh baby, this is exactly who we want to see. It's, it's go perfect. time. It's, it's show time. time for everybody. Oh my gosh. Okay, so Arolas comes in and first pitch f- ninety nine in the dirt. <laughs> yes. So the first pitch is absolutely nowhere near anything, and it's like, oh well, crap. And then the second pitch is a slider that nicks the edge for a strikes. And that is what is so fascinating about Aroldis, and we've talked about this before, is that even when the fastball command is nothing, he has the slider, and he can locate oh, he, the slider. He has that slider. Especially arm side, so he gets it 1-1. 2-1, throws a fastball well above the zone. Like, just no Again, idea where it's going. Almost, you know, over the catcher. Okay, great. Here we go. Back to the slider. 2-1 <laughs> count. Me, you, Alex Bregman, the dead, the living, the future... All of us know that a slider is coming in this spot because he cannot afford to get to 3-1 against Bregman and he no. No, has no idea where the fastball is going so he's going with the slider. Bregman sits on it and it's middle out. Yes, and because Bregman- again, again, the di- this difference as we've already been talking about in this episode, you look at the, the difference where these pitches go. The first one was perfect. It was a perfect slider. And the second one was two inches more inside. And when Alex Bregman is sitting on it, that's going to get hit a long way. And it does. However, Minute Maid Park is a weird place. And so he drives it just to the right of the Crawford boxes where Evan Carter up against the wall makes a leaping grab, snags it, chucks it in, throws it to first base. Jose Altuve is fit, is uh, is safe, but he's not. 
And this is a very complicated rule to explain when you are tagging up or you're tagging back, excuse me, if you are on first base and you are rounding second base, you must retouch the bag. Okay, you you need to, uh, I guess, retrace your steps is a good way to think about it, right? You cannot just run across the diamond to whence you came. And Altuve did not do so. Double play. Chapman gets Jordan to roll over to end the inning. And a roll is Chapman, who has looked like an absolute freaking disaster so far this postseason, escapes again. He really gets two outs, but he, I guess, actually gets three because Jose Altuve made a little blunder. And he gets a double play on a freaking rocket. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and I mean, the Evan Carter play, especially this is his first game he has played at Minute Maid Park. He did not get to play there in the regular season because he had not been called up yet. He talked after the game about how much he had worked with Robbie Grossman, who's much more familiar with that wall. Uh, and just kind of, but he's talking more about like the, you, normally when we're talking about weird walls, whether it's Fenway, whether it is the Crawford box, we're talking about like weird ricochets, right? We're talking about weird bounces and how, how the ball plays. You're not necessarily talking about like tranking the ball and having to essentially go around this weird corner and into what is a truly unique part of any ballpark in Major League Baseball is that little crevice. And uh, but he 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 did it perfectly. He gets under it. He he leaps. He makes the play. He throws the ball in. And yeah, the the Altuve moment was was interesting because what what really happened to him? It's not like he was between second and third, and while he was running back, he missed it. He'd kind of stopped himself just past second base, which meant his feet were tied up, and he was obviously a little bit caught off guard by the catch in general. And so even though he was watching the play, once he turned around, he was so close to second base that he didn't realize that he didn't touch it. And it was, I mean, it was like a different category of toot bland because was it bad base running? I guess, yes. But like, it's not like he was in the right spot when the ball was caught, but ultimately he was in the wrong spot for his feet to be able to retouch. It's a blunder. You just can't let that happen. So Blas, Jose Leclerc comes in for the ninth. One, two, three. He is as reliable as it gets right now in that Rangers pen. He looks outstanding, huh? Yeah, and that's the thing. For all of uh, we will continue to make fun of Veraldis Chapman, LeClerc has been everything you could possibly ask for. And he's been good for much of the season. And for him to be injured for multiple years, we had seen him be an elite reliever, you know, before he had gotten injured, and now he's he's all the way back. He looks great. Quick Chaz McCormick discourse. Mm-hmm. Last at bat of the game. Jose LeClerc go I think it's a one one count. He throws a two-one pitch nowhere near the strike zone, up and in on McCormick, who dodges the ball, gets out of the way. And there's kind of like a, oh, maybe he should have taken that hit by pitch. He needs to get on in order to bring the tying run to the plate, which I believe was Michael Brantley as a pinch hitter on deck. Mm -hmm. Good matchup. 2-1 pitch into 3-1 is another fastball up in his kitchen that he ducks out of the way even more. And they cut to the bench and there's like some asters being like, what are you doing? Like, why didn't you? And it's hard to tell anybody, why are you not wearing this 98 mile an hour pitch on your elbow? Like, I would never say that. But it certainly came back to haunt them because Jose Leclerc, you know, figures it out and then just blows two absolute missiles by McCormick in the strike zone to end the game. Yeah. 
it was uh, it was a very impressive adjustment. And whether those were purpose pitches to set up whatever, whatever it was, it, it ended up working out perfectly in Leclerc's favor. One more thing on the Evan Carter play, I just want to say, because again, when Chapman comes in and he's, you know, he doesn't face Altuve, but like, I don't need to remind people what happened to him against Altuve. And we know what it looks like. It literally looked like deja vu. And I had talked, and especially with Alvarez coming up, you had talked about on the podcast, previewing this, how much you were looking forward to that matchup. And that matchup ended up not being that interesting. But because he's coming in this spot, I was texting with Kennedy Landry, who, of course, a uh, friend of the show, we've had her on and everything. And this is how, I'm sure you've had this experience, although you've obviously not been watching as many games on, on TV in the same way. But I had been having a conversation with Kennedy about like looking forward to this, the Jordan or Chapman coming in in high leverage in Minute Maid Park and how that's going to be something. And so she texts me like she, we were talking about it right as Chapman's warming up, whatever. And then when Bregman comes to the plate, she texts me, holy shit. And so I know at the very least, it's a spoiler for something that is about to happen. So when the ball is hit, I immediately just assume it's a home run because that was the premise of the whole interaction. So I just start laughing so much as soon as the ball is hit because I just assume that she just spoiled that it's going to be a home run. But no, <laughs> Carter was like, just kidding. I got it. We're chilling. I was born in 2002. Not a big deal. Jordan, that was game one. Game, game two tonight, it will be Framber Valdez for the Houston Astros. It will be Nate Eovaldi, Nathan Eovaldi for the Texas Rangers. Max Scherzer is on the roster. He's available out of the bullpen. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get into Scherzer conversation quite yet because I actually don't think it matters too much because I don't think he's going to be too effective. But we'll get, the, we'll get to that <laughs> well, later. That, that matters, but I, we don't have to talk about it. We have some breaking news. Oh, breaking news. Have some breaking news that we'll talk about right after the break. The Miami Marlins have announced that Kim Ang will not be returning as the club's general manager. The club exercised Kim Ang's team option for her to return for the 2024 season. However, Kim has declined her end of the mutual option. We will be right back after the break to talk about that and preview the National League semifinal. Hey everyone, producer Chris here with a quick housekeeping note about our merch. Look, in Australia, we love clothes and almost always wear them. If you're like us and also enjoy dabbling in clothes wearing, then why not consider some official Baseball Barbercast merchandise? Whether it's a jumper you're after, which you would call a sweatshirt, a cap, which we would call an old hair hugger, or a shirt, which we would call a belly wrap, we have it all for you. But that's not all. Do you also like to drink water or caffeinated beverages? Well, that's great because we have mugs and bottles to help you quench your thirst too. To buy any of this merch, go to podswag.com slash baseball. The link is in the description of the podcast. And don't leave yourself clothesless this And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. We'll talk about the Kim Ang departure in a second, but let's preview the National League Championship Series. I'm here in Philadelphia. I was at the workout yesterday to see the Snakes get off the plane and walk into the bank for their workout. Arizona is in town. They are here. Christian Walker spoke. Zach Gallen spoke. Okay. Tori Lovello spoke. Mike Hazen, the general manager, spoke. Mm-hmm. You can feel it in the air. A lot of things to talk about with this series, but let's just do the pitching matchups first. Tonight, Monday night, will be Zach Gallen, the local product, against Zach Wheeler, who grew up in it in Georgia. Game two, 
Merrill Kelly for the Diamondbacks against Aaron Nola for the Phillies. And I keep saying this, and what could be his last start as a Philly as he is a free agent at the end of the season. Game three, Brandon fought the Rook against Ranger Suarez, the postseason boss. And then game four, we haven't had game four as a real, I know we've had a game four, but we haven't really had a game four because a game four in a best of seven is code for chaos. Because the, nowadays, no team has four starters that they feel comfortable, truly comfortable in. And we will probably get Taiwan Walker for the Phillies against Ryan Nelson for the Diamondbacks in what might be 21 win by two. But Jordan <laughs> Schusterman, where would you like to begin in previewing this series? What are some storylines that are tickling your fancy? So before we get to the the baseball in particular, I am interested in the energy that Phillies fans are going to bring to this and neutral fans are going to bring to this compared to last round, right? Obviously, the Phillies are we're going to to bring it in every possible fans against Atlanta. It's already a rivalry. You already had all kinds of reasons to be shit talking. And that is going to continue. Obviously, Phillies fans are not going to relent just because this other team is from a different division. At the same time, from a neutral perspective, the D-backs are about as the least hateable team you can possibly imagine on, on many levels. It's not just that they're the underdog that I have not seen anybody pick in this series at all. It's that like what about the, this roster or the players on it or the way that they've gotten here is a is a problem. Like it's, it's such a young team. It's players that haven't necessarily been in high profile moments to like piss off other fan bases before. It's just a really likable, interesting group. That's not going to stop the Phillies from booing the shit out of everybody, obviously. But at the same time, I think uh, th this is, this is a, a true underdog. And it's also not a situation like, like Tampa, right? Where people feel strong ways about the Rays and the way that they do things and, and the way that they keep costs down all those things. And all those things are fair. The D-backs, it's like, yeah, their payroll is also pretty low, but it's not like egregious. It's just like a normal small market-ish team that we haven't given a lot of thought to, and that's fun. Uh, and so that against the Phillies, who everybody has given all kinds of thoughts to, is a very interesting uh, comparison, it's especially also with when you compare Texas versus Houston, which is obviously a, a no-doubt heavyweight, even if you ignore the history. Arizona's anonymity might mm -hmm. be their biggest tool in their yeah. toolbox. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. The vitriol from Phillies fans will not be rooted in actual hatred mm -hmm. and disdain. Mm -hmm. It will be conjured. It will be based upon the simple fact that the Arizona Diamondbacks are playing the Phillies. They're in the way. They, they are <laughs> in the way. They are an obstacle. They are an impediment. Mm -hmm. I don't think that makes any difference whatsoever. I think that the Braves, like the extra level of hate towards the Braves evens out the Diamondbacks inexperience in this type of situation. Mm -hmm. I love the crowd noise. Mm -hmm. It is fun to think about. It is fun to watch and experience. I remain somewhat hesitant to put too much meaning into it. I really do. I think that especially for hitters, doesn't make a big difference. I think like once a series, you can make a reliever pee their pants. However, I do think that tonight, the cold is going to matter because it is pretty nippy here in Philadelphia already. 
And many of these Diamondbacks players have not been in the cold, not even like played in the cold. They have not been in the cold. For like a year, when would <laughs> for, most for a of while? These, yeah, like I don't Zach know. Zach Allen they... is going to be fine because he's from here. Yeah, but it is going to get down into the mid uh, to low fifties tonight with wind, mm-hmm. and I think it could play a little bit of a role for some of the hitters. Yeah, that's that's a good point. The, the other thing I would say is too, just from the from the mental side, I, I agree that like the fans are that's we'll move the fans aside in general, but the pressure here is on the Phillies, undeniably. Right, that's the part that I think is a little bit different compared to last round. Whereas it was very obvious that the Braves, as we mentioned, capitulated on many levels on the field, off the field, every every kind of way. Right, the D backs not only are they coming in, you know, scorching hot. They're t- whatever all the house money cliches you want to say. Like they they know that everybody's picking against them. They're 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 having the time of their lives now. The Phillies are in the prohibitive favorite. Mode And so now that that pressure is on them. Now, again, then we go back to what we said before the Marlins series, which is the Phillies are better. And so if you want to keep it simple, the Phillies are the better team. And I recognize that. But the D-backs are a lot better than the Marlins and they're playing a lot better than it. And that's what makes the series so fun. The Phillies have been playing with house money the whole time, except for the Marlins series, Mm -hmm. right? Now they're playing with their own money. And it will be interesting to see how they carry that in this context. Let's get into some of the specifics, though. The running game. New rules this year, Jordan. More steals than ever before. Yada, yada, yada. In the last round, the Phillies really took it to the Braves and ran all over them, particularly in game one. It doesn't seem like they'll be able to do that as much in this series. And it seems like their advantage on both sides of the ball has flipped. Arizona seems more equipped to run on Philly and seems more equipped to keep Philly's stolen base game under control. Yeah, this is this is a matchup I'm so excited to watch is Gabriel Moreno and JT Real Muto because not that, you know, Real Muto and Sean Murphy was some snooze fest, but here we have a much more specific statistical difference in the way that these teams approach the running game. Because last year, before we had the new rules, JT Real Muto was sensational at throwing out runners. And while this year he still has an elite pop time and has on occasion, not not on occasion, but like decently consistently shown us some incredible moments, some incredible cost ceilings, that's fine. On the whole, JT Realmuto threw out only 22% of runners this year, which is slightly above league average. Gabriel Moreno is at 39%, by far the best of any catcher with regular playing time. And so, and Real Muto was at 44% last year. So think about that. Think about how much of a, of a difference that made, even though his pop time is still elite. When you combine that with the fact that the D-backs sure like to run, now we have a situation where those extra bases are making a difference on both sides. Now, do I still think that Trey Turner can probably steal on Gabriel Moreno? That is that alone, when you consider Trey Turner has not been caught since August of 2022, like that is very exciting to see if Moreno, if Moreno can't throw Trey out, then I'm not sure anybody can. But I'm, I'm so excited to see how aggressive both teams are because the other thing with Moreno is at some point teams just kind of stopped running on him. So it wasn't even a situation where he had that many times to showcase it. Whereas Real Muto teams were teams were going, and sometimes he would get them, sometimes he wouldn't. So I can't wait for that matchup. I, I wrote about Moreno at Fox today. He's one of my favorite players in this postseason, and uh, and he's also on fire at the plate too, which also makes it really exciting. This is a good time to talk about how a stolen base is a math problem. You have three components to any stolen base. It's just time, 
right? Three blocks of time. How quick does the pitcher go from first movement to the ball hitting the catcher's glove? Baseball people typically call that time to the plate. What is a pitcher's time to the plate? League average there is about one three, maybe one two seven or something, a second two seven. And the difference between one one and one five, I know it's only, you know, point That's four, everything. but it's a ton. It's a mm-hmm. ton. So there's that block of time. There's the catcher's pop time, which is the pop of the ball hitting the catcher's mitt to the pop of the ball hitting the second baseman or shortstop's glove at second base. Uh, I would say a league average pop time is right around two. Mm-hmm. And elite is around 1.8. Mm-hmm. JT Real Muto threw someone out, one of the Braves out, I think, and it was 1.8. That's mm-hmm. uh, 1.82. That's really, really good. So it's that time, ball to home, ball to second. And then the underrated one is the tag. And the tag also takes into account where the ball is thrown. So yeah, the some accuracy. of it. The accuracy. Some of it is on the receiver, the fielder, and some of it is on the thrower, the catcher. Because if the catcher is putting the ball right on the bag, right into the slide every time, I could slap a tag down. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Whereas if it's a little bit higher or there's a pick element to it, having Javi Baez there, peak Javi Baez, but the tag down is a part of it. So those three things, how how long to home, how long to second, how long from catching the ball at second to putting the tag onto the fielder, that whole block versus how quickly the runner goes from first to second. That's the math problem. And so while we think about stealing on catchers a lot, in reality, a lot of it is stealing on pitchers. Yes. And I think that is part of what makes Moreno so difficult to steal on. It is not just that he is an elite thrower. It is that the Diamondbacks take care to keep the running game under control. Mm-hmm. They vary their looks to first, their pickoffs. They vary their timing to home. This is another element to it. If I'm a pitcher, right, and I come set and I wait 1-1,000, 2-1,000, go every time, that runner on first can time me up and give themselves a head start. Mm-hmm. The best pitchers, and most big leaguers do this, and some occasionally forget, will vary their timing. So they'll come set, they'll go 1-1,000, go. They'll go 1-1,000, 2-1,000, Three one thousand go. Mixing that up is very important. The Diamondbacks also do a very good job of that. And you know, and Mike Hazen pretty much acknowledged this yesterday, and I, and I put it in my piece. Like for the D-Max to to master this, to figure this out, to acquire Moreno and have him in the year where it is literally easier to steal than ever before is a massive advantage. And I know we've talked about it on the offensive side, but how that manifests on defense is, I think, even more important and more crucial in this series, especially when you consider that overall the Phillies should have the pitching advantage. And so in terms of run prevention, this is just going to be a, a massive part of it. Now, at the same time, another fun thing about this series, the D-backs can bop. And basically every single D-backs hitter in this lineup has had at least one moment over these first few games. And that's what makes, uh, I think, that the especially the games in Arizona when the pitching is a little bit worse, we could really see some, some interesting slugfests which we've seen in some capacity, right? We, we sort of had that with, with the Orioles and Rangers, but I think this one uh, could really, really show us that. And I know that there are some guys on the D-backs. Corbin Carroll is amazing. Like, we're going to be talking about him all series for sure, and he'll have his moments. But this is this it is not a one-man show. Like, Cattell Marte has been one of the best hitters in the league for, for a while. Christian Walker, easily in the conversation for most underrated player in the league. 
Obviously, Tommy Pham has an amazing postseason track record. And then we've had some Moreno's has three homers, and Alec Thomas has had some moments. Like it is Guriel's been great. Like this is it, it is a very deep lineup. It's not not quite as star said, not quite as famous, but production wise, they've been right there. That being said, I'm gonna take the Phillies in five, and here's why. Hmm. I just watched the Phillies keep the greatest lineup in baseball history to seven runs True. over four games. And I cannot sit here in good faith and tell you, oh yeah, Zach Wheeler just ran through Ronald Acuna and Austin Riley and Matt Olson and all these other incredible Braves, but the Diamondbacks are going to get them. Like mm -hmm. maybe they do. Maybe the Diamondbacks get them and they keep the score down and they can steal a game here. And, you know, but I just don't, that doesn't feel right to me. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's a bad way to pick it, but like Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola are locked in right now. They both look incredible. And I just don't – like, it, it is random. It's small sample size, right? There's obviously a chance the Diamondbacks can can beat them. Mm -hmm. However, after what we just saw, dominating a superior opponent, I think the Phillies doing the same thing to the Diamondbacks is the most likely outcome. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that's totally fair. I'm going to go Phillies in seven. I'm just buying it on the Snakes team, so I'll consider that a, a hat tip to what I believe they can make this a competitive – a competitive situation and and we'll see you know the rosters are going to come out we're recording this uh you know 9 30 on monday morning we'll we'll have the official rosters rob thompson with kind of a strange answer when asked about reese hoskins i don't know why he would be suddenly back now when they said it was a small chance he would be back for the world series what exactly he would be uh, on the roster for other than like we love reese more than anybody but he also said like yeah he's doing everything except taking ground balls so you're basically saying do you want him on there you know as a, as a bench bat pinch hitter which would probably be the case anyway we'll see if there's any other roster surprises or injuries we don't know about uh when we you know wrap this recording but in general though i think it, it is going to come down to those those Games three and four. And what are the Phillies getting from, you know, Taiwan Walker, who, you know, hasn't, or Christopher Sanchez, both of whom, you know, haven't made a start in over two weeks here and have, have shown different, differing versions. You know, Sanchez was honestly much more reliable, especially in the second half. Walker, of course, the big money signing in the offseason, he's, you know, certainly struggled. He's had his moments, but you can understand why they want to go with him. So a lot, lot of levels to it. Uh, I I totally think it's fair. I'll, I'll go Phillies in seven. I think this D-backs team is, is super fun, and uh, I'm excited to uh, to see to see a lot of the, more of their players uh, get a lot more attention this week. It'll be very fun. And, of course, Zach Gallon. I mean, Gallon tonight will be will be just fantastic to watch on, on so many levels. I can't wait for that. Let's quickly talk about Kim Ang before we go. So my instant reaction, again, this happened like a half hour ago, so I haven't had a chance to ask around about it. It feels, my, my, the initial read is she's positioning herself for another job because very rarely do executives opt out of a job without having the potential to find another one, mm -hmm. right? And so the only open job right now, I guess, is the Red Sox job. Mm -hmm. The Mets GM job is open under David Stearns, but I would be surprised if she were to kind of go down a level. Mm -hmm. What do you think about it, Jordan? Yeah, so we just got uh, a quote. Uh, Tyler Kepner just tweeted literally 30 seconds ago, um, which is the first we've heard from Kim Ang directly. So I'll just read this. Uh, this is from, again, Tyler Kepner. I just spoke with Kim Ang, stepped down as Marlins GM this morning. She said, quote, last week, Bruce Sherman, who's the owner of the Marlins, and I discussed this plan to reshape the baseball operations department. In our discussions, it became apparent that we were not completely aligned on what it should look like, and I felt it best to step away. 
Um, I wish my sincere gratitude, blah, 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 blah. blah. So hmm. that's interesting. This is now the second time this has happened with the Marlins in the last few years um, in terms Jeter. of how Jeter and ended up leaving the organization. Now, I think you could say that since Jeter left, things have been going better, so that's good. But that's that's what's really odd about this is what, again, the reporting here is that the Marlins did try to extend her here and want her to keep her around, but it seems like they still are trying to make some more changes. So I don't know if that meant that they were going to bring in people around Kim that she wasn't necessarily going to be working with. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure we'll have more reporting on this. But in some ways, it's just disappointing that this is how it went considering the successful season they just had. But also, if it's a means that she's pursuing another job, like that's awesome. And duh. <laughs> I think she. there was a lot of reasons to, to criticize her tenure during it, you know, with the Marlins. There were a lot of moves that didn't work, and there were a lot of moves that did work. I think we talked about it a lot. Like this, The way that she handled this uh, deadline was so impressive, and the, the aggressive nature with which she pursued and improved the offense was great. And so, but now the Marlins are, are at a very interesting spot because you can't just count on all that to work again. And so they're going to have to be aggressive again moving forward if they're going to compete in the NL East. And maybe Bruce Sherman, who ultimately is the one who makes the decisions, decided we need to bring in more different people here, even if uh, Kim Ang was going to stay around and she wasn't She wasn't about it. So that's her right. And we'll see what, hmm. what happens next with her. I'm sure she will still be working in baseball in some capacity, as uh, of course she should be. So very strange, but uh, that is my thoughts on that. I hope whomever comes back, or sorry, whomever takes this job brings the sculpture back. <laughs> right. That would be, uh, I don't know what it, what it's going to take. I, I don't know what Kim Ang's uh, take on the sculpture was, but we know that was a Jeter decision to get rid of it. So that would be great. Probably not the most important thing in terms of the qualifications for the next Marlins yeah. GM, but I do agree. And it sounds like the players also agree that they want the sculpture back, uh, back inside. Uh, any other uh, news and notes you want to get to before we, we say goodbye, Jake? No. Okay. Um, yes. This, since we'll be going every day uh, this week, you know, tomorrow we are going to have two games to talk about. So we will talk to you on Tuesday morning. And yeah, again, rate and review the uh, podcast. Let us know. Email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. We really appreciate it. That's B-A-R-B-Cast. You can get your merch. I believe that link is in the description, podswag.com slash baseball. Thank you to Chris Tyler for producing. As always, Chris going to have to... Be dealing with us a whole lot more over these next two weeks, but we think he is okay with that, we hope. <laughs> so thank you to Chris. Thank you, Jake. Enjoy game one, game two of the Rangers and Astros, I guess before that. So we got a little afternoon semifinal action. So looking forward to watching that. But until tomorrow morning, uh, enjoy the games. We'll talk to you all very soon. Sirius XM Podcasts. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.